Shut up and sit down. By all means, go for it. Have fun. Just bring it along. People are coming together more and more and more and more as the government has been failing us more and more. I'm against being shitty to people. You can't research your way into understanding somebody. One way or another, I'd rather have the fight now. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Fight for Liberty Live. We have an awesome show for you guys tonight. Reed Coverdale's back on for his sixth appearance on the Fight for Liberty, but the first time in eight months, so we've got a lot to catch up on. Uh, but first, we're going to tell you a little bit about the people that are sponsoring this episode. So if you would like to get high, like I'm going to do during this show, and you want to do it while also supporting Liberty, uh, ending the war on drugs, and uh, disabled people who need this medicine, do it with Nug of Knowledge. Uh, so you can go to nugofknowledge.com. They have an awesome selection of uh, both flour and vapes and some edibles on there now as well. Uh, use promo code F4L and you'll get 10% off your first order. And you, like I said, you'll be helping uh, the show, the network, uh, also other people that you know and love from the Liberty Movement, like Dan Berman and Tom Queter. And also uh, some of that money is going to help end the war on drugs. Some of that money is going to uh, give disabled people free cannabis. So win, win, win all around. Go to nugofknowledge.com and check that out. Um, but without further ado, he's back again. The one, the only, Mr. Reed Coverdale. How's it going, man? I'm <clears throat> I'm doing all right. How about you? Can't complain. Uh, the weed is starting to kick in, so in a better mood. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so... It's it's been a decent amount of time. You're you've had a whole bunch of crazy guests on, and uh, between your show specifically and other shows you've been on, and like Tower Power Hour and and other things, you've had some really interesting guests on. So I'm curious, who was the person that you thought never in a million years would I ever be able to interview this person that you've gotten to talk to? Um. Probably Peter Schiff. That was pretty surreal. I mean, it's weird because I didn't think never in a million years because that was actually when I started the show, I was like, I am going to get that guy on eventually. But it's certainly the biggest achievement. Um, mm -hmm. That was huge. Um, and he's kind of the first political podcast that I really started listening to religiously at all. I mean, I listened to other ones where politics would come up and I don't really consider the the Ron Paul Liberty Report to be a podcast. It's more of like a a news show or something, I would say. But and I, I've been listening to that for a while. But Peter Schiff got me into political podcasting. He got me <clears throat> into the economic side of libertarianism, and that was really something to have him on the show. And it was uh, it's funny because I had a contact with a guy who worked for him. And he was telling me like, oh, come on, dude, uh, I'll, uh, you know, I'll email him and I'll get him on your show or whatever. And we were trying that for months and it never worked. And then he said, you know, why don't you just try messaging him on Instagram? That might work. You never know. <laughs> but I was like, All right. So I, <laughs> I sent him a message on Instagram and I gave him my email and everything. And then like two days later, I get an email from his uh, media director or whatever saying, hey, uh, Peter saw your request on 
Instagram and we'd like to set up an interview. How does next Saturday work? <laughs> I was like, whoa. So it just uh, kind of went off from there. But yeah, I mean, there's been a lot. I Let's see. I've been, um, man, since I've been on this show last, I think I've been on Part of the Problem. I've been on Bridget, uh, Bridget Fetessy's show. Mm-hmm. I've been on the Matt Kibbe show. I've been on Austin Peterson's radio program. Um, it's been incredible. Um, and then I've had Abby Martin on my show. Um, you know, Tom Woods, um, who else? I mean, there's so many people I'm just trying, uh, you know, um, Mike Rivero, uh, Sean Atwood, you know, all sorts of like really big names that a lot of them, I didn't even really know. I didn't really know who Sean Atwood or Mike Rivero were before I started doing this, but then you find these people and it's just, you know, incredible the rabbit holes you go down and where you end up. So it's been a wild ride, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, some of those names are are kind of crazy to think of. And like you've been on the radio now, like the mm-hmm. actual radio. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty nuts. Um, I don't know how many people that radio show reaches, but <clears throat> Austin had me on to talk about the trucking shortage and, you know, the government controls that are making that worse, specifically in truck driving. I don't know a ton about the ports and the backups there, but. I, I do know about like the driving shortage and the new regulations that have made it harder to get drivers on the road and taken a lot of drivers who were on the road off the road. So it was, uh, yeah, that was cool. Mm. Yeah. But, uh, to, to what you were talking about earlier, it's, it's crazy how actually approachable some of these people are, you know, you would, you just assume that these guys have like a whole team of people set up to to stop you from getting to them. And especially like I come from a sales background where a solid two thirds of my time uh, when I was doing business to business sales was spent trying to get around these people, uh, you know, the the people that are set up to block you from actually getting to the guy you're trying to talk to uh and it's it's weird how much more approachable people just in politics in general can be like even i found getting to getting to tulsi was easier than the owner of a trucking company in milwaukee was for me when i was in sales it's kind of nuts yeah i mean uh Pete, Peter Schiff, after I had had him on the show, like he was like, hey, let me know if you ever make it to Puerto Rico. (laughs) You know, like I just talked to him for half an hour. He's super friendly. Uh, He reshared it to Twitter. He also reshared it to Instagram. I mean, he like really boosted me a lot there. Really tried to get my name out there. Same with like Tom Woods. When I had him on my show, he reposted that episode to his podcast. So, you know, Mm -hmm. a ton of people would hear it. Uh, Dave Smith's been really generous. Um, you know, everybody, Ryan Dawson, like they're all like, it didn't take much, like, um, you know, to just, it was just like, Hey, will you come on my show? Sure. And then, you know, some crazy friendships have come out of it and, um, you know, some controversy here and there too, but it's been, uh, all in all, it's been worth the ride. You know, you, you can't have, a good experience without some rough road, you know, mm-hmm. so the, the controversy just comes with the territory. So I don't know what you, you're, what you're talking about. I don't know of any controversy from various guests of any shows that doesn't happen. No, that's never. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
um i like uh mr mr heckman's in the comments um oh mr heckman it's because we all equally lack social skills which for a number of the people we're talking about definitely uh very true <laughs> yes yeah i mean when you have someone like abby martin who's not a libertarian you know you got to be like oh i can't just be weird i gotta be sort of normal or as normal as i can be you know mm -hmm. like when you have Ryan Dawson on, you can just go full autist and no one will notice because this just kind of fits the room. But when you're, you're like, still less autistic than he is. Yeah, exactly. So like <laughs> when I talk to someone like her, it's like, oh, OK, I've got to like sort of put my normal face on here, which is which is tough. But, you know, I pulled off sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been reaching out to a few people that are kind of like on my guest bucket list over the last few weeks and i'm being like really careful of like what episodes to reference when i'm talking to them because it's like i really don't want them to just be like hmm i wonder what this guy sounds like and if you like google like video search me my episodes on your show come up before my show most of the time based <laughs> because <laughs> most of them have like i think my dave smith uh and rabbi litvin is the first thing that comes up if you type in fight for liberty but my my appearances on your show come up usually fairly often because you put fight for liberty in the description and like i don't want them finding episode 80 and being like no i don't i don't want to go on this guy's show well see that's funny if you type in reed coverdale uh, because like none of my titles have Reed Coverdale in them, you know, it's all the naturalist capitalist. And then like whoever my guest is, mm -hmm. um, usually what comes up first is all my tower gang appearances. So like if someone professional is like, huh, I wonder who this Reed, you know, I've been trying to get Mike Rowe on the show. Mm -hmm. And, uh, if he like Googles Reed Coverdale, just, oh, we'll see what this guy's all about. And then Tower Gang shows up, you know, that's not going to be, uh, extremely helpful toward my goal, but <laughs> probably oh, well. not. Uh, it's interesting when you Google image search you, um, a bunch of pictures of Bridget Fetisi come up. Mm -hmm. I'm unsure, uh, cause they're not, cause she is probably the broadest reach out of every show I've been on. I'd say maybe other than the Matt Kibbe show, because that goes on the Blaze TV. So maybe that was bigger. But I think she has the largest reach. She, she's got a pretty popular podcast. Yeah, she is awesome. Also, that was uh, a great episode. That was my my greatest appearance on anything, which I was lucky because I think it was my biggest one. So I was glad that it went as well as it did. Oh, I see. I get I get the mediocre read. Bridget gets the the prime Bridget read. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. I wouldn't I wouldn't give me my prime uh, speaking either. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I've I've definitely uh, I've tried going for a lot more targets than I used to with this because. I found that it was actually a lot simpler of a process than I was making it out to be in my head. Like I, I just reached out to this uh, Norwegian guy that uh, makes a bunch of like uh, bushwork. Oh, is this the guy getting arrested by the police in your promo picture? Um, no, that guy actually. Um, that one, I I got to actually be friends with him. He's working on starting like community owned crypto slash blockchain based banks 
mm -hmm. uh, in the UK and working on facilitating it here in the US. So it would, it's it's basically a uh, a decentralized breakup of the banking monopoly uh, using blockchain. Uh, so that's the guy getting arrested in that promo. Um, I'm that's probably the episode I'm the most excited about, just because I think that like everybody that watches my show would be really interested in that. And I know for a fact that like none of them have a clue about this guy or what he's doing, where most of my guests, a solid half of my viewership already knows who they are, if not all of them. Right. Um, so this will be that one will be exciting. Uh, but no, I reached out to this guy that uh, he's just got a couple of clips in the uh, philosophy chill step videos that I like to watch um, where it's just like chill step music with like speeches kind of overlaid over top of it. And so I looked him up and I found his contact information and I sent his team an email and got one back of like, yeah, I'd love to come on. That would be great. And I'm like, all right. He's got like half a million uh, subscribers on each of his three YouTube channels. And I'm wow. like, okay, sure. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. My most recent strike like that was uh, Maria Farmer, the mm. probably the highest profile Epstein victim. Um, someone just recommended on Twitter that I have her on my show. And so then I just tweeted out. Maria Farmer, I'd love to have you on. And then she ended up messaging me. She's coming on on Sunday, which is very timely because I think the trial's going to be over this week. It, it should be. I think on Saturday it actually ends. Um, but, um, yeah, that was pretty nuts. And then I was like, all right, well, that worked. Hey, Whitney Webb, I'd love to have you on to talk about Epstein. She's another big uh, media character and she answered like okay well i'm pregnant right now but after i have my baby i'd be willing to do it um <laughs> so i don't know sometimes those shots in the dark that's how i got nick gillespie on the show i remember mm -hmm. i just like tweeted out these are five people i'd like to have on my show and i forget who i meant who i listed but he was one of them um and you know so you never know you never know what's gonna work but um, yeah sometimes you gotta i'm still working on tulsi like she said she'd come on and now she's kind of ghosted me. I don't know if that might be my fault. I might have burned that bridge and she's just not telling me, but I was very judgmental toward her 9-11 uh, take. Um, you know, that it's just because they hate us because they're Muslim. They're they're okay, to defend her, she didn't say because they're Muslim. She said because of their radical Islamic extremist ideology. But it's just like that's not correct and i saw people freaking out at it for the wrong reasons they were upset at her because she was islamophobic or you know xenophobic or something i'm like no that's not it it's just that it's not accurate to say that they just hate us because of their religious zealotry there's a you know there's a deep-seated imperialist problem that has driven people to extremism you know it's from bombing them and uh sanctioning them and occupying their lands for decades you know that's why they hate us so i don't know maybe i maybe i burned that bridge i don't know but uh anyway some people you have to really uh you gotta really nag at them and then they eventually do it and then other people it'll just be a tweet and you end up having someone with a huge following that you've known about for years on your show suddenly so mm -hmm. 
Yeah, Twitter's a Twitter's a miraculous place when it comes to just making weird connections. Like you mentioned uh Sean Atwood earlier. He was one of the first like really random celebrity follows that I got. Like uh-huh. he just followed me one day. Just like there was I didn't tweet at him. I've never I had never tweeted at him. Uh like I've never really interacted with him. Uh he just found me and followed me once and i was like that's weird thanks dude (laughs) yeah uh and then like mark pellegrino was was a connection that i never would have made anywhere out other than twitter like we just got into an argument together defending magnus going on olivia rondow's show (laughs) (laughs) and it was really funny because like i got into the argument defending magnus as like hey he's not a nazi and then mark joined the argument and I was like, oh, wow, I'm on the same side of a Twitter debate as Lucifer. That's kind of neat. And then about two hours later, I realized that the conversation had shifted all the way to from uh, Magnus isn't a Nazi to Olivia should be able to have Nazis on her show if she wants. <laughs> I, I like, think I agree with both of those points. So <laughs> I, I do. But I realized that, like, we had lost the actual defense of the of of magnus and we were just basically assuming that the critiques were right and that he is a nazi but it's still okay and i was like hold on guys wait a minute i need to backtrack a little bit because i've been out of the conversation for a little while and y'all have turned this into something else um but he followed me after that and i was just like all right might as well shoot my shot and got him on the earliest interview i've ever done i had like just woken up five minutes before i clicked the go live button so this was like two o'clock in the afternoon or (laughs) it was like 9 a.m it was oh man you don't even for five minutes i wish man i i need to get whatever job you do or don't have so (laughs) don't that's the the glory of it Uh, work on political campaigns you'll make almost nothing but you will have all of the free time that you don't know how to use yeah and a mountain of to-do list items that you don't want to do. And somehow those two things don't overlap in your head the way that they should. And you don't just use your free time to do the to-do list. Right. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think who the first, like, the first show I did where I was like, okay, wow. I think it was probably the one you were on with Jeremy and Dave Smith. Like, that was surreal. That was the first one where I was like, whoa, this is crazy. <laughs> you know? Um, but before that, I remember the first one I was nervous doing the first one I was really like, Oh my God, I'm like, uh, what am you know, I I really don't want to screw this one up. It was Scott Horton. And it's not that he's a jerk or anything. It's just, I was like, I do not want to look like an idiot in front of this guy. (laughs) You know, I want him to feel like I have some modicum of, um, knowledge of foreign policy. So I was just like the two days before I had him on, I was in California and I was hauling this really heavy load. So I was just driving straight all day. Like, you know, no, uh, I wasn't dropping off or picking anything up. It was just a big load coming from Utah down to California. And I was just listening to, I listened to like 20 hours of his podcasts. Um, and then I actually took notes, you know, while I was stopped in the truck stop and actually had like, questions laid out which is something i hadn't done in a while because um i don't know like the beginning of this year i sort of stopped 
writing out questions and just doing everything kind of off the cuff. Mm -hmm. And I, I did not do that for him. I was like, no, <laughs> I got to have bullet points for this guy. And it was a very good episode. Uh, but I remember that was the first one I was like biting my nails a little bit, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that was uh, when I when I had him on the uh, I, I was going to say the first time I've only had him on once. Uh, I can can definitely relate. That was I I really uh, he's not he's not a mean guy, but he's definitely someone that has the ability to uh, say mean things very politely in a way that crushes your soul. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I definitely didn't want to, like, pull a Spike Cohen or anything. Um, and because <laughs> uh, I had him on after that had happened and I was just like please don't tear me a new asshole Scott please <laughs> that was rough I felt so bad for Spike but at the same time it was like sort of a conversation that needed to happen so I was like uh, no one has any idea what we're talking about we'll just not elaborate we'll just yep. you know like, you didn't even see it right I was the only one who I did not yeah it was just secondhand information <laughs> but, I have a bunch of friends that were watching it I was not and I'm kind of sad no one like sent me the link like as it was going on because yeah it got removed pretty quickly yeah. <laughs> but um but yeah, uh, Scott, Scott was awesome. Actually, that was one of the first interviews that I did that I was like, wow, I actually I'm actually a decent interviewer. That was like a good show. I was like, um, and I think uh, even you like made a comment about like the questioning on that episode. And I was like, people like my show. People watch my show. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Because he yeah. was long before, like I had Dave or or like uh, Shane Hazel or Mark Pellegrino or any of those names on. He was kind of the he was the biggest name I interviewed when I interviewed him. So are you surprised um, how little some big names will draw, and then you'll have some nobody, and it'll get a lot of views? I've always been shocked by that. Like I, uh, I don't know. Like I thought Nick Gillespie would get a lot of views but it was like a thousand and i was like that's it <laughs> like i thought it was going to be like ten thousand or something um but it's weird you know like you never know which ones are really gonna be a hit and which ones are just gonna be a flop yeah i've noticed that the people uh the people that i have on that have a more engaged audience uh rather like regardless of size but just a uh, percentage of engagement that they actually have with their audience seems to to come out more in views like uh like matt wright i just had on um who's not like super famous uh even in the libertarian circles he there there are plenty of people who don't watch muddied waters and uh, you know don't know uh who matt is but his that episode got actually almost twice the views as the Eric Brakey episode, who I feel like almost everyone in the Liberty movement knows who that is. Yeah. Um, and then a whole fuck ton of Republicans and a bunch of independents and a whole bunch of other people. So um, not shitting on Eric by any means, but uh, <laughs> or Matt in that conversation. But, uh, but yeah, the kind of people, cause like me and Matt were having fun with the people in our, in the comment section, like the whole episode, his girlfriend now fiance uh, was in the comments, like leaving nice little messages. And I kept bringing them up and we were like having more fun with the audience. Mm -hmm. uh, I, f I feel like the more like serious ones that I do where it's, it's actually just the two way conversation and we're ignoring 
the the other people don't end up getting as much engagement or reach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, although sometimes, sometimes like I'm not really engaging the audience. There's just a really stirring conversation that ends up taking place that you weren't expecting. And it kind of excites people. And, you know, sometimes I think it's kind of a, I don't, so when I listen to my episodes over again, I actually feel better about them. I feel like the opposite usually happens when people look at their work, but with me, when I'm doing an interview, I'm like, Oh man, this is a disaster. And then I'll go rewatch it and I'll be like, Oh, okay. Now that actually sort of landed. Um, and it's a skill that you acquire because you got to be able to follow the conversation, but you've also got to be able to think about what you're going to ask next. And then if you're good, you're going to direct the conversation in a certain way with what you ask. So especially if you don't have that, I mean, that's why I stopped writing it down because it was too hard to, because I would be like, Oh, I want to talk about these 10 things. Then it would be like, okay, well the conversation moved away from this. It doesn't, makes sense to actually talk about this anymore. So then I'm like trying to think of something really quickly off the top of my head. And then I realized, actually, if I just don't write anything down and I just kind of go with the flow and I just try to start figuring out how I'm going to ask questions or insert things that way, then I won't have to, it'll be second nature. I won't have to be, won't have to write things down. I won't have to have a contingency plan of this, you know, this question doesn't work out or whatever. And so then it, it just makes you a better interviewer if you can do that, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, when, uh, do you, do you ever miss ha still having the, like to go to, uh, and, and how do you actually think of things on the fly? Cause I've, I don't do interviews on the fly almost ever. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I didn't have much written down for this one. Cause I figured, you know, you and I don't usually need questions written. Uh, but I usually have at least seven or eight, uh, and I kind of went the opposite when I, when I, I came to the same problem that you just described. Uh, but I went the opposite way where I started actually like writing my lead-ins for my questions as well. So mm -hmm. I like write out like a sentence or two that are like tied to something that I know that they were, uh, involved in or something kind of that I'll, that I know that the conversation will have touched on by that point. And like, I try to set that up even more structured. So I kind of. It kind of swung in the opposite direction. I don't know. I mean, I just, uh, I've honestly, like I've had a lot of political conversations throughout my life. Um, it's just something I've done a lot over the years. And then, you know, it's good practice, like coming on your show and doing it for two hours, like we would last year or even man, two years ago. <laughs> That's incredible thinking like early 2020, you know, which was almost two years ago now, um, when I was like, you know, I didn't have, when neither of us were sizable at all, we were both kind of just like with our 70 subscribers or whatever. Um, you know, we were just, I don't know, we would just bullshit for two hours and <laughs> I think that was good practice. And so, you know, once you have the big dogs, like you just got to be thinking at a little bit higher level than if it's just like, you and me, you know what I mean? Like, um, I don't know how you feel, but I feel like the smartest person in the room regularly. So maybe you don't, maybe you don't cause you're on political campaigns. But <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. I did not mean it that way. But, 
<laughs> but it's still how it came out, and I'm oh, gonna clip out. that for sure. <laughs> but I, I know I work. You know the places I work. People don't know anything about politics. They don't know anything about any of the issues or how the system works or whatever. So I was always the most well-versed on that type of thing. And now I'm the least versed usually when I'm having people on my show. So I assume you work around more knowledgeable people when it comes to politics than I do in general. So I don't know if you feel like the most knowledgeable person in the room all the time because you're working on political campaigns. Whereas if you were working in a lumber yard, <laughs> you know, it would be like, wait, you guys don't know what uh, red flag laws are, or you don't know what, you know, civil asset forfeiture is like, I don't, I mean, what percentage of the population knows what civil asset forfeiture is? Probably like five to 10, maybe. I don't even think it's that. I would guess like 2%, but I'm sure everyone you work with knows what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty yeah much. Exactly. So like in my situation, I'm with a bunch of like politically illiterate people all the time. And then when I go on a podcast, it's like, oh shit, now people actually know this stuff. So I sort of have to be more on top of it. Yeah. It, I, I definitely uh, don't, I'm not usually the smartest person in the room. Um, or at least I try not to be. I actually, my, my dad used to always say when I was growing up that if you're the smartest person in the room, then you're in the wrong room. And so I always kind of lived by that. And I think that's one of the various things in my upbringing that led me to not choose a kind th that type of job because almost almost everything else in like my DNA would have led me like my grandpa's an electrician, my other grandpa's a mechanic. Like I most of my family is just like skilled labor kind of solid, steady, six, low six figures a year kind of jobs. Uh, so most things would have led me into that type of a lifestyle. But I honestly think that saying is one of the things that pulled me out of that because uh, I was always trying to be not the smartest person in the room. And then when you're around a bunch of smarter people, you get smarter and then you have to find a different room and then a different room. And now I'm with a bunch of fucking autists that have just spent their entire lives reading books. Uh, but it is uh, I've I've moved myself to where a lot of the times most of the calls and meetings and stuff that I'm on, I'm in some form of managerial role in that either on the campaign or or it's a, a subcommittee or something like that. I'm usually taking some kind of an authoritative role in most of the calls and meetings that I'm in. So I, I can still somewhat identify with the having to switch that off when I'm on the show and like let the other person talk because they actually do know more than I do about the topic that we're talking about. Because normally I'm talking about the things where I am still kind of the smartest person in the room. Like we're talking about field work and I'm in a room full of policy people and I'm the only person that's ever actually knocked doors before. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I, I get to have people on that are ridiculously smart in various areas. Like even I had Dan Smots on to talk about video editing and it's yeah. like, yes, please just unload your knowledge upon me. <laughs> <laughs> That sound that sounded pretty gay the way you worded that, but <laughs> um, <laughs> Jesus Christ, you're not wrong. Oh, uh, even funnier because he called us gay already today. Oh yeah, he loves it. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, what's the boy? I'm, I'm asking you the questions this is backwards, but uh, what's the what's the biggest thing that's changed about you since you started doing it? Because for me, um, I think something that's been fine tuned at least is I don't think that the establishment is actually the biggest threat to the truth. I actually think it's the charlatans in the independent media. I think they're a bigger threat. So like. I think Vosh or whatever his name, Vosh, whatever his name is, I think that guy is a bigger threat than MSNBC because I think most people know MSNBC is bullshit. You know, like very the, the the number of people who watch it is going down a lot. People who watch it and take it seriously, they still know that a lot of it's slanted. Same with like Fox News or CNN or whatever. But if you have someone like Alex Jones or uh, like Vosh or like the Young Turks or Ben Shapiro or any of these people, like I think they're a bigger threat to finding out what's actually going on because people don't think of Ben Shapiro as establishment, right? They think of him as sort of a rebel, but he really is pretty establishment if you actually listen to what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Like the message he's pushing is not really that different from, you know, Dan Crenshaw. They're basically the same person, but he can wrap it in this like renegade podcasting, you know, rage against the machine cloaking that he puts on it. And then people like Alex Jones, they're not preaching establishment stuff, but they're just preaching like interdimensional demon invaders. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it just kind of, it disincentivizes people from looking in areas because some of what he says will be like sort of like alluding to what's true, but then it's just so ridiculous with like so much extra shit piled on top of it that people will be like, okay, fuck that. I'm not even like looking at that anymore. And it'll be like, no, 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 no. Okay. Yeah. He's nuts. But there is something actually fishy about nine 11 or there is something fishy about, um, you know, COVID or whatever, like, Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's been very fine tuned. I think that might've been something I would have said before, but it's been like, it's become extremely obvious, I think. And obviously I've also gone from uh minarchist to anarchist, um, which I think that was kind of inevitable. <laughs> like it's just kind of what happens to you once you're on that trajectory yeah. long enough. What about you, man? What about you? Um, Hmm. I'm I'm kind of actually still digesting your point because I I f- agree with you on Alex Jones. I think um, because I'm I'm sixty percent sure that he's a psyop. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't I don't know. Uh, I'm not actually gonna make that claim. Not gonna like actually attack him or anything like that. But I'm like I have my suspicions, and I think that he's intentional. I think yeah. he's a plant. Um, Shapiro, I don't know, uh, but I because I feel like my one of my answers to your actual question would have been almost the opposite because I feel like at least since um, since I started the show, especially uh, I very much broadened my umbrella and and widened the tent of the like big tent movement that I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, that started to kind of break down when I was working with commies on my uh, city council campaign. 
but even more so uh, this year. And just in my mind, anyone that's any sort of anti-establishment, anyone that's trying to fuck the state or the the one percent or the the cathedral or the whoever you want to call them, uh, I'm they're they're an ally for me. So I've actually like kind of started to have a more positive look on people like Vosh and um. Ooh. But not, but actually, I guess so. You named very specific names that I think I would agree with all of them because I do agree that they're. So maybe you're you're making a different point than what I'm thinking of, but um, because yeah, I think like the Young Turks, I think Alex Jones and Ben Shapiro, uh, they are all definitely just like fully bought into the bullshit. Um, then there's like the kind of in betweeners, like like Jimmy Dore, um, that's kind of like you know he's. I think he gets it, but he's just wasting time and, and air whining about the Young Turks all day instead of, uh, yeah. you know, actually yep. doing something useful. Uh, sorry, Jimmy, if you ever decide you want to randomly watch my show. <laughs> <laughs> you do That's whine somebody that I thought I was going to have on when I started the show. I was like, I can oh, get yeah. to Jimmy Dore. Um, and that's not hasn't been a thing. Yeah, no, I so yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I'm not saying that like every show or podcast of that size is, you know, detrimental to the truth. I, I was naming specific shows like, um, I mean, like, I think, you know, Tom Woods is great. And I think mm -hmm. Glenn Greenwald is great. I disagree with him on some stuff, but I think he's great. Uh, and then you know, like Abby Martin, and she's great. Chris Hedges, great. Um, mm. You know, um, it's just, uh, yeah, I think that they throw people like Alex Jones in the mix, and then they also have people like Ben Shapiro or the Young Turks who sound fresh and new, but are really just pushing the same old shit, and those people are the enemy. <laughs> and we tend to try to we tend to try to think that they're not like oh no they're just like a little off and it, i think they're actually more dangerous than rachel maddow that's yeah that's definitely fair uh so let me ask you a question then since we're like picking good guy bad guy uh what about joe rogan because he kind of platforms both yeah i think he's neutral like i think i don't think he really has too much of an agenda you know other than like free freedom of speech and expression like outside of that he doesn't really seem to have an ideology to me so he'll have everybody on you know and i think that's great so i think his show has been a service because he'll have someone from the cia on and then he'll have you know jimmy Dore on <laughs> so like he'll he'll just go all the way across the spectrum have everyone on to just talk about anything um so I think he he's kind of neutral and in a different category because he's not really there pushing a certain, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a certain ideology. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the, that wide spectrum of guests, I think, helps validate him to some of the would be skeptics. Yeah. Uh, it unfortunately makes a lot of skeptics out of other people. Uh, but I do think that the fact that he'll have like 
uh, Jack Dorsey and Vijay Gotti on his show to talk about Twitter's uh, policies and give them a chance to defend themselves uh, against a roasting by Tim Pool. Um, like that, I think that earns him a lot of credit. And it, uh, but it, it does also kind of have that negative counterbalance of like he's had a lot of people on that just will make someone never, ever, ever touch his show because he's had that one person on. It's those people probably weren't going to really be his audience anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which a great example of conversation going to a question that I wanted to ask. Um, you also have a fairly large uh, variety of guests and plenty of them have made plenty of people say that they will never, ever, ever watch your show. Um, so I'm, do you, are there any that you I, I know we've we've talked about this privately, uh, but like uh, still no, no regrets. No, I mean, not as far as who I've had on the show or who I've tried. I mean, I do things differently. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I'd have different people on. All the mistakes I've made have been outside of podcasting, I think. (laughs) Like, I think the biggest thing I've learned is just don't, you know, just keep your circle of friends really small. And I mean, dude, people have phone numbers of people that they've met on Twitter and they've never met in real life and they've never... Um, they, they, they didn't get to know them at all, you know, and they'll send them their phone number and then they'll be exchanging all this crazy information with each other. And I've made a couple mistakes, not with the phone number thing, but in that, um, in the information exchange thing, luckily I haven't done anything that's gotten me in too much trouble. I haven't given any of my like super private information away, but, uh, like just, you know, you're not here to just make friends, you know, like you gotta, you gotta kind of protect yourself and Mm -hmm. you gotta realize that a lot of people out there really just suck. Even like, even people who can inspire you in video format or speeches they make or, you know, certain things they say, like they can really like be like, wow, that is incredibly true and incredibly powerful, but they can still be scumbags. So mm-hmm. just kind of like prepare your heart and mind for that. <laughs> just be ready. Like once you get to know your heroes, you mm-hmm. might wish you didn't know them. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I will say that, you know, I flew, I flew to Mexico to meet up with someone that I met on Twitter and that, that worked out pretty well. But, um, but, under most circumstances, don't give out your numbers on Twitter unless she's really, really pretty. All right, guys. Exactly. <laughs> or he. I don't judge. <laughs> um, it's funny that saying he was a gay joke and not like a gender in- inclusive joke because I know that girls aren't watching this. <laughs> yeah, no, no girls watch. What's your demographics anyway? Um, so it used to it used to say a hundred percent male when I knew for a fact that that was inaccurate. Um, and now I went too long without posting consistent enough content and then have gotten shitty enough views from some of that other content that it actually won't give me demographics anymore. Uh, at the moment, I need another 
I think at the end of this month, it'll kick back in. But I went like almost three months without putting out a single video. So that just like tanked all of my stats and dropped me below the view hours that it needs to start calculating that crap. Um, but yeah, it, it used to just be flat out wrong. Like I knew it was wrong. Like it said 100% male. And I'm like, and this was back like leading up to the summer when I had a decent following and I knew plenty of them. Like I talked to at least a dozen or so girls that I know for a fact watched every episode that I put out for a few months. So it's like, I know you're lying to me. Mm -hmm. uh, um, judging from the chat, I think this is a mostly male dominant audience. Yeah. Tonight. <laughs> I, uh, I have 98% male, which is an improvement because I was at like 99.7 uh, back in probably the last time I came on the show. Like back then I was 99.7. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm going the other way. Nice. Uh, I have met women who watch my show, which is kind of cool. Um, you know, like most of my demographic is mostly like 25 to 40 year old men. Um, but I, when I was at Pork Fest, I talked to this like 50 year old woman who said, I watch every episode of your show and I think it's great. And I just thought that was cool. I mean, that was one of the coolest, you know, it's just not what you expect. 50 year old woman who watches every single episode. I was like, Wow, that's pretty cool, you know. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Uh <clears throat> I completely I had a thing that I was going to say and then I said that's great and then the other thing completely just escaped with the with the vapor from that hit. Um <laughs> Yep, lost it. Uh Yeah, me Oh, I remember what it was. Uh, it's interesting how many people I talk to that watch your show that I, that I know don't actually know you like that. The circles aren't, don't overlap, uh, necessarily where like they would be mutual friends of ours. Uh, but I'll like throw out your name in a clubhouse room or something, just talking about some issue or, you know, something that referencing a conversation between us or something. And people will be like, oh yeah, that natural capitalist, right? Yeah. I love that guy. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh. Okay, cool. It's been a couple of times where I've just like, I don't know if you guys know Reed Coverdale and like the whole clubhouse room is just like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, wow, dope. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a household name now, man. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. How does that make you feel? The ones who really tend to. It's weird. Like I am. <laughs> You know, I would say the the one the group, at least within our circles, that doesn't like me the most is like the Hoppians. But I am the atheist libertarian that they like the most. <laughs> you know, like I'm sort of like Andrew from Popular Liberty, uh, Pete Quinones, Buck Johnson, um, Doe Bishop, like those guys all actually really like me which is kind of weird. A lot of their friends hate me. I'm probably blocked by Hoppians on Twitter the most because I'm in, I'm a leftist insurgent or whatever. Um, but um, yeah. And then like the other side too, it's like the Hoppians and then like the loser brigade, those two factions do not like me and then everyone <laughs> else can kind of get over it. But um, yeah, it's been weird, man. Like I can go to happy holidays guys. Happy holidays. Yeah.
By the way, I think Hoppe is better than his uh, followers. I haven't read a ton of them, but what I have read, is, like, <laughs> I think uh, I, I think it's kind of a vehicle that you can add on to or put whatever you not put whatever you want into it. But uh, you know, like I, I think I find his followers a lot more insufferable than him, which is almost always the case with everything. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah, pretty much everybody. <laughs> Uh, except for Bernie supporters. I think Bernie supporters are better than, well, that depends. There's a lot of bad Bernie supporters, but like there's some on, like, on really, average, I think you're right though. There's some really good Bernie supporters who really care about ending corporatism and ending wars who are way better than Bernie because Bernie sucks. But, mm. and, and then Trump supporters too. Like there are Trump supporters who like really are America first, not Israel and Saudi Arabia first. And they're, you know, they care about uh, taking care of veterans or whatever. And like Trump sucks. So I'd say like Trump supporters and Bernie supporters, you can find better people than the person, but almost every other movement, the thought leaders are better than the followers. So, I mean, it's a pretty standard. Thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I, I might amend the comment that you made about Bernie and say that there were, bernie supporters that were better than bernie i they think almost all of the good bernie supporters are no longer bernie bros <laughs> for the most part and like including our our mutual friends like uh like pasta and nico and yep. you know there there's been a mass exodus from the the dsa and i think what we've seen on both sides of this of the sp the spectrum i don't even want to say that phrase whatever um we've just are seen we a talking massive... the autism spectrum or the political <laughs> spectrum um the non-existent political spectrum it like oh, okay. I so definitely the... not the autist one <laughs> no um but so we've seen people who used to pretend that we were on opposite sides uh a lot of it we're coming together but it's also because we are there's just a mass exodus from electoralism in general over the last year and a half from all of your your major political groups uh yep. they've either uh, been dealt defeats that they weren't expecting and couldn't come back from or they've uh one thing or like they, they feel like they won now they don't care uh various different reasons but you know like as you've seen people like you and me go from minarchists that are like oh i hope amash and gabbard run together to like why don't we just burn it all down guys uh f like electoralism is stupid and you've seen that on the left as well uh so like a lot of people that were um that were bernie bros or tulsi kratz or yang gang uh, i still have a decent amount of friends in yang gang like all of them are working on non-political stuff even like yang's trying with the forward party and that's barely politics and there are so many spin-offs from that outside of politics that are doing so much more than the actual party itself it's like it's it's looking like the libertarian party did 30 years ago where it was just like a fuck ton of non-profits kind of floating around this political entity um but yeah there's there's just been a mass like fuck this this is dumb guys the system's rigged we're never yeah. gonna we're never gonna elect the revolution that was a dumb hashtag that i had uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what i'm gonna do with all of these stickers <laughs> but you can't to, like erect the revolution or something get everyone excited to go you know <laughs> um yeah i i think there's been i you know the reason i'm not a right or left-wing populist 
is not because I think it's morally wrong. Like, I don't think it is. Like, if you, if, if you're like Tho Bishop or like Nico House or someone like, you know, either, you know, who, who thinks like, uh, you know, or I don't know about Nico so much anymore. I haven't talked to him in a long time, but if you're, we'll just use Tho Bishop. Cause I, I do know what he thinks. Like he is a libertarian, but he just doesn't think that libertarianism has any hope of becoming prominent. He thinks it either has to be in a right or left vein because that's just how people think. Uh, so he thinks, you know, it makes more sense in the Republican party. Cause you can have like a right wing, libertarian strategy that you can hijack people's feelings to lead them toward libertarianism. It's not that I think that there's anything wrong with that. I actually had a great discussion with him a couple weeks ago. Um, it's that um, I think that that isn't going to be true for too much longer. Like I think that right left thing is kind of falling apart like, I think it's just becoming sane versus insane, mm -hmm. um, you know, especially with like the vaccine mandates. Like, I know they really try to draw, draw that on like a left right divide. You know, you know, totally admit there are more left wingers on the side of that. But there are a lot of like socialists and far lefties and then moderates like, I mean, let's see, like Jimmy Dore is against it. Bill Maher is against it. Um, you know, a lot of our mutuals like Nico House and those types of people, they're against vaccine mandates and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm not convinced it's as pervasive in the left as people want us to think it is. Like, I think it's a loud minority mm -hmm. that has kind of hijacked the political machine. And I think people are getting sick of it, you know? And so you're seeing people who used to disagree on everything and used to hate each other, just be like, you know what? Like, I don't really care what you think about guns and actually come to think of it. Like, I don't really care if you have guns or if you don't have guns or whatever, you know? And like, I've just kind of seen that breakdown taking place and mm -hmm. people are kind of dropping their signature issues. Like I don't see as many people championing Medicare for all anymore or build the wall or, you know, like any of those, like, bumper sticker issues you used to see like people are just like i just want to have my freedom back and i just want to be able to go to the grocery store and i just want to live a normal life and i just want to be left alone so i think like that top bottom scale is actually becoming more important than the right left one which is what i want to happen because yeah. i don't you know, and I'm not talking like deep Marxist philosophy versus like, you know, um, you know, like Hoppian or Mises or uh, Rothbardian, uh, you know, um, paleo you know, train, train of thought or like, I, mm -hmm. I don't think people think that deeply. Like, I don't think your average Democrat has ever read Marx or thinks in a collectivist way or wants to remove all private property. You know, like, I don't think mm -hmm. they've ever philosophically dug that deep. They just are like, I hate what's happening right now. Make it stop. And so those people are really easy to reach. And I don't think it has to be through right or left. I think right or left is a bit of a joke. Like, what does it even mean now? Like, um, you know, like it, it usually comes down to a couple social issues. Like 
are you pro-vax or anti-vax or are you pro-gun or anti-gun or do you believe climate change is real do you think it should be mr potato head or androgynous potato head and you know that (laughs) that's like what defines you as right or left and it's stupid like i don't think most people give a shit about you know a lot of that so Mm -hmm. i don't know I, i i don't think that the right and left populist way is actually going to be productive forever i think we're headed toward a more anti pro-authoritarian versus anti-authoritarian. And I don't think that people should forget. I think that, you know, religion and culture and those type of things are always going to matter. And that people who agree on those type of things are going to come closer together. But people forget there's people from Southern culture who are right and left. And there are people who are Christian who are right and left and Mm -hmm. people who are non-believers who are right and left. So this idea that, um, you know, religion or culture or birthplace is going to draw distinct lines between right and left. I don't think it's necessarily true. And I think that those people can believe in liberty and still like have their own communities where like we want to care about Christianity or whatever. Like, I don't think that conflicts with the idea of, you know, being anti-authoritarian. So I don't, I don't really see what the big, the fuss is there, I guess. Yeah. Uh, couldn't agree more with literally that entire monologue. That was, that was all right on the head. I, I similarly have started just, I've, I've gotten to the point where I get, I get really annoyed and like hard to control myself, annoyed and lash out at people when they get too stuck in the right and left bullshit. Because like, in my opinion, if if you are if you're a person that's operated within the liberty movement and or the libertarian party for more than two to three years, that should be gone from you by now. Like you should understand that that both parties suck. Both parties are useful. Both sides. People can be turned and and it's a divide and conquer fallacy that's been shifted specifically because right and left used to mean pro-government anti-government right and then they shifted it to being all of these bullshit social things that the the populace will never ever 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 agree on like abortion and guns um so like yeah it's it's a completely constructed bullshit scenario and you know you're talking about especially the vaccine mandates being not really a right-wing issue I met a guy the other weekend. Um, I went to the casino with my parents and I was rolling up a joint and this guy sat down next to me and started rolling up a blunt. And I was like, oh, shit. Just kind of like made a comment. I think I was like, oh, hey, that's what I sat down to do. And he asked me what I was smoking. And so we started talking and then we went outside and smoked together. And this guy grew up in New York, moved to California uh, when he was in his early 20s, has lived out there for the last decade. Uh, owns cannabis shops, uh, clothing shops, like by the book lefty, um, Asian American with a man bun. Uh, like you would, you would just peg him as as a hardcore like liberal Democrat. Um, 
we get probably like 10, 15 minutes into the conversation and I bring up that I'm in politics and he got really intrigued because he wanted to like pick my brain about stuff, but I actually didn't answer very many questions. He got stoned and started ranting and I was loving it because this like rando just started ranting to me about how bullshit the vaccines are, how bullshit the mandates are, how this is a government conspiracy and that he's never going to get the vaccine because because the if uh, he even said, I don't think a good idea should require this much force. And I was like, he almost said the thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that more people believe that and they're just afraid to say anything. Mm -hmm. So I think on the right, it's more culturally acceptable to be against the vaccine mandates. But I think there are a lot more people who are on the left who think it's bullshit, mm -hmm. who are just like, you know, it's just kind of like you're not supposed to say anything. So, yeah, and that's why you see people walking away from it, you know. Um, so I, I don't know, things are tough right now, but I find a silver lining in all this chaos because I think it does push people out of their comfort zones and gets them to start thinking about things mm -hmm. and hopefully pushes people toward desiring liberty more. Because, you know, this slow burn we've been in forever, you know, the government just takes little by little by little by little and no one notices that it's happening. And then suddenly you end up in 2020 and 2021 and we wonder how we got here. But, you know, when things are happening quickly like they are now, people are paying attention and they're fighting back and they're saying, no, fuck you. And you're seeing people want out of public schools and you're seeing people... Uh, you know, showing up at their school board meetings and, um, you know, trying to change things at local levels. I know a lot more people who are going to run for some local office now because they want to fortify their town against the state or their state against the federal government or whatever. So I think all that is, you know, that that's all uh, a good thing. And I think it, it was necessarily going to come at the price of tyranny because the slow burn doesn't um you know doesn't get people motivated to do anything i guess mm -hmm. yeah i'm i'm excited about the possibility of the kind of kickoff uh situation that we're coming up on if if this trajectory continues um i think that there's still a slight chance that the uh that the u.s is salvageable I, I give it like a 10% chance at this point, <laughs> um, which is why, uh, actually I'll, I'll save that. Um, because that, I was about to go into a whole other tangent. Uh, but yeah, I, it, it is very encouraging to see a lot of people are waking up from this, a lot of normies and like, even, even the people that I know that are like retardedly pro vax are mostly still anti-mandate. Mm -hmm. um, even like my super liberal Christian friends from New York City, they if I if I ask them point blank, like, do you think that I should be forced to get it? No, uh, most of them. A lot of them are still in, in favor of passports, though. Uh, that was uh, Joe Biden's position, you know, six months ago that we would never be forced to get it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think that is the majority. I think this this is a minority hijacked operation. 
That sounded racist. But... Yeah, it did. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, so the other thing that you've gotten a lot of flack for is like criticizing the U.S. and kind of like being an anti-nationalist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's a really important stance to take. And I, I, I like whenever I see you getting into shit for saying mean things about the U.S., it always makes me happy because I'm like, hey, he's he's breaking people out of their comfort zone because I think it's a really dangerous one that like American exceptionalism, like we're the best thing that ever happened. I had a guy in my mentions going off to somebody from uh, Europe earlier today and like his entire point um his entire like discrediting of this guy's point because they were arguing capitalism versus socialism like the the normal bullshit argument but his entire point to this guy was like oh nothing that you say counts because the u.s propped up all of europe in the 40s 50s 60s and 70s and allowed them to be what they are so anything that any country in uh in Europe did post World War One is actually thanks to us and doesn't count as points for socialism. It all still counts as points for capitalism. And I'm like, the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think there's it's important to draw a distinction between Americans and America or the American government, because I do think I mean, I I have my own thoughts about Americans in general now. Like, I do think in general they're gluttonous, lazy, and stupid, you know. (laughs) So, but that's not as, that's still not as bad as the American government. The American government is way worse than gluttonous, lazy, and stupid. American government is one of the most evil institutions that's ever existed on the face of the planet. Um. You know, we've orchestrated the murder of millions of innocent civilians or I mean, yeah, the murder of millions of civilians, um, you know, over lies like mm-hmm. over the Gulf of Tonkin, over the WMDs in Iraq, um, you know, over the Lusitania, whatever. Like, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of, uh, you know, things that have been embellished or that have been um painted as though they were, you know, deceitful, vengeful attacks from foreign governments and that we needed to, uh, you know, go bomb the shit out of them to show them who's who. And, uh, you know, even domestically, like what we did to the Native Americans, uh, you know, the institution of slavery, um, and then like after slavery, you know, the war on poverty and the war on drugs and, um I don't know, like there's not a lot to be proud of from a governmental standpoint. Every achievement the Americans have made has been mostly like private sector, you know, individuals creating amazing things and, Mm -hmm. you know, expanding and pushing West or whatever. And I don't know, like almost all the terrible shit was subsidized by the government, pretty Mm -hmm. much all of it, like murdering the Indians uh, enslaving Africans, um, you know, basically enslaving people through the war on drugs. That's all been the United States government. Um, yeah, so, everything that we've accomplished has been in spite of our government, not right. thanks to it. Yeah, like, 
I mean, yeah, we beat the Nazis and the Japanese, but, you know, you could kind of blame World War II on the Allies. Like, I mean, it's ultimately the Nazis' fault for what they did, and it's ultimately the Japanese Empire's fault for what they did. But to excuse our part in pushing both of those entities to their breaking point where they would embrace authoritarianism. Um, you know, if we're like, we were sanctioning Japan, that wasn't just like a blindsided attack that came out of nowhere. And we also wanted that to happen so we could get into the war. The Germans were, you know, in economic shambles after world war one, uh, they were just punished, you know, for, they, they basically had to pay for the war and they weren't allowed to have a military over a certain size and they were burning their currency and their fireplace to stay warm because it was so worthless. And then you think about that today, like, you know, why, why did 9-11 happen? Why do so many people hate us in the Middle East? And it's funny because a lot of libertarians like can see that now. They understand in the present day, like, oh, yeah. You know, it makes sense why a lot of people in the Middle East hate our guts. But then so many of them are like blue pilled on World War II. Like they think that was actually like a legitimate battle against evil. Mm. <laughs> it's like it really wasn't like, Ooh. I mean, think, of, think about how many people we firebombed in Tokyo, all the mm -hmm. civilians that just burned alive. Or, you know, we just like flattened German cities and French, you know, we were bombing France while the Germans were occupying it. We probably killed a lot of French civilians, you know, doing that. So I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, it doesn't excuse anything that the Japanese or the Germans did. But at the same time, we're not so innocent either. And then you look at like Vietnam, um, you know, all the wars in South America, the, you know, bombing Kosovo all the turmoil we've caused in Somalia and, you know, like, it's not, I mean, you, you can go back further, like the civil war, uh, you know, like the Spanish American war, I don't know, all of them. Like it, it, we, we have such a whitewashed vision of what history is that it was America, you know, defending the rights of men all the time. <laughs> it's like bullshit. That is not what we've ever done. Even like, I don't know, even the Revolutionary War, you know, that was an upgrade. I, I think it was an upgrade, mm -hmm. but we really win. Did we really get what we were looking for? You know, like we, I don't know. So, no. I, don't, I mean, I, I think you're right. It's like our accomplishments are in spite of our government, not because of it. Yeah. Damn, that was that was great. There were so many like quotable things that you said there, but I think the one that should go on the graphic is uh, why did 9-11 happen? <laughs> uh damn yeah and i i think that you know we we're talking about like the social issues that divide us um and how bullshit that is i think that the a better indicator of whether or not someone is truly an ally is what do you think about 9-11 what do you think about the uss liberty what do you think about um the you know just name it like those different controversies um you know which is why the vaccine mandates kind of plays into that but we're we're in it now like the propaganda is directed at us now 
on mm. that one. So I feel like it's more excusable. Um, and then also if if someone is just like completely un uneducated in this kind of stuff and they just don't know about it, if they're open to it, then then awesome. Um, but for the most part, like if you if you still believe the entire government narrative on 9-11, you're probably not going to pick up a gun and fight next to me in the revolution. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you I mean, the official narrative being that they just hated us for our freedoms and they were sick of us living in our nice democracy over here and they decided they wanted to try to bring their Sharia law over here, you know, like, yeah, that's definitely what it was. <laughs> like, I mean, it's funny. There's even letters from Osama bin Laden, you know, describing why they attacked us, you know, because it had to do with the Israeli, um, the U S backed Israeli occupation of Palestine and Jordan. Um, and it had to do with the Kana massacre and with, bombing Iraq from Saudi Arabia where we kept troops and bases in Saudi Arabia when we we're supposed to leave. Um, you know, like he, he listed a whole bunch of reasons. These, this is why we hate you. And this is why we're doing this. Um, and it was we just, just ignored of, it. Yeah. We were just like, Oh, it's because they hate us because of our freedoms. <laughs> like, yeah. They hate us because they ain't us. Yeah, exactly. Um, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I mean, if you, you know, and this is like where I, when I was describing Alex Jones as someone who kind of throws the scent off, like, I do think coronavirus is real and that it has killed people. Um, but I also think it was probably made in a lab. And I think that the government has obviously used it to exploit its power and it's rank. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's power and it's jurisdiction or whatever. Uh, and you can do this with almost anything. Like, I think that, you know, it, it's sensational to think that the government orchestrates everything. Like, I don't believe the, the government or the U.S. government orchestrated 9-11. I think they knew it was coming and... You know, specifically the CIA and the NSA, I think that they both knew this was coming and they wanted it to happen and they let it happen. And there is a lot of proof of that. Like they were monitoring the hijackers long before they hijacked the planes. Um, and there was also, um, you know, the Israelis were also monitoring the hijackers and they actually had a, uh, a moving company that they were disguising themselves as when they were really working for the Mossad and they actually moved one of the hijackers and they were living right next to them. Um, and then the Saudi Arabian government also directly financed the hijackers on flight 77. So like to look at that and think like, there's nothing fucking weird going on there that there wasn't any sort of foreknowledge or desire for this to happen or exploitation like you're, you're just blind. <laughs> you haven't done enough research. Like there's obviously mm -hmm. a goal there and, you know, people certainly, you know, the U S government, the Saudi Arabian government and the Israeli government have all benefited, benefited massively from the war in Iraq. Um, you know, the war in Syria, like there, those all fall directly into all those goals. It's made all three of them much more rich, much more powerful. 
so to just be like, oh yeah, it's just because these, you know, these Muslims hate us because we let women wear t-shirts or something. <laughs> That's just, it's laughable. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think that it was an inside job from the U.S. government, but I definitely think it was an inside job from the U.S. Ish, like, like it or, um, well, so like when you start getting into things like Building Seven, um, and what happened there, and like the missing gold, and like the fact that the building fell very strangely for a building that just kind of got hit with some debris, same as like six other buildings surrounding it that miraculously didn't fall um like there was definitely some like pre-planning uh at least within the buildings themselves like there were people in those buildings the day before that knew that what was going to happen tomorrow um and were making sure that it was going to happen whether or not they were directly related to the government itself who knows um i think a lot of libertarians get caught up in uh, the government is the enemy and miss out on a lot of the other enemies surrounding them that make this shit happen yeah so speaking of you know bombs being in the buildings uh do you know about the dancing israelis and the moving vans that were pulled over and the israelis that were interrogated and everything no so there were I forget how many i think there were two vans that were seen at the world trade center and then one of the vans went to a location several miles away where the, uh, across the river where they had a good view of the towers and they had cameras set up. And when the first plane hit, they were all dancing and giving each other hugs and flicking lighters into the air. That's the dancing Israelis uh, term you might have heard before. Uh, but then these vans were pulled over. And the first thing that the guys said when they were pulled over was, we're not your enemy. The Palestinians are. Um, and the vans were laced. They, they had a canine unit there and there were traces of explosives in the vans. And they had been at the World Trade Center that morning. And then you hear reports like I don't really buy the whole controlled demolition argument, but I think there were bombs in the lobby. And, um, you know, the, uh, the, uh, where was I? Sorry. Someone just sent me a text. So it kind of threw me off. Um, the, uh, what was I talking about? <laughs> um, the, you were dancing Israelis. Oh, uh, the bombs in the lobby. The like, bombs you in the lobby. Hear, uh, eyewitness reports from that morning of people saying that they, you know, they heard bombs go off or some guys were saying like, inside the tower the floor like picked up from underneath them and you know before, right as the plane hit or whatever and they try to explain it away with the jet fuel like coming down the elevator shaft and then blowing out into the lobby but i'm not sure i buy that so i don't know there's definitely like some weird stuff but i feel like you know everyone focuses on the buildings and how they fell instead of like who was where and who was hijacking the planes and how these hijackers were financed because that kind of leads you to you know a bunch of like areas where it's like whoa <laughs> like you actually could see clear trails where state sponsorship actually played a role you know yeah and i think you made a good point by comparing that to what's going on now because i mean i i'm 
would be more easily convinced that COVID is straight up like a government conspiracy, like that they orchestrated the whole thing than 9-11, probably. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that there's a strong possibility that this entire thing could have been fully orchestrated from the get-go and planned out, but had nothing to do with the U.S. government. And that they COVID, just... you're saying... Yeah, that they that they just kind of let it happen and then used it the way that they've used it. Um, there are obviously people within the government that would have played parts, but it wasn't like a a Joe Biden's evil concoction. Oh yeah, well you know people tend to like think Joe Biden or you know like Bush did nine eleven, and that's a really simplistic statement. It's like, what does that even mean? <laughs> like what it. George Bush, you know, he and his Cheney, maybe and, Bush. No, well, Cheney, there is a you know, flight 77. Um, and I don't know, like, I've Scott Horton doesn't think that you know, this is legitimate. He thinks that they just wouldn't want to shoot a plane down with civilians in, in it anyway. And then, like, other people like Ryan and Adam Fitzgerald, like, they think that this is a suspicious sign, but when. They knew Flight 77 was coming toward the Pentagon. They knew from like 60 miles out, 50 miles out, 40 miles out, 30 miles out, 20, 10. And when it was like 10 miles out, one of Cheney's aides was like, Serge, should we shoot down that plane? And he was like, no, do not shoot down that plane. It's very obvious at this point it's going to hit the Pentagon. So, you know, take from that what you will. That's kind of weird. <laughs> like You've already had two planes hit the World Trade Center at this point. So it's obviously not headed for an airport. It's obviously headed straight for the Pentagon. It should be pretty obvious what it's doing at this point. So I don't know. You know, that's pretty weird. So yeah, Cheney, I don't know. <laughs> not that I think that was pre-planned, but, you know, I think that it after you've already had two planes hit the World Trade Center, you're already thinking about, like, what your reaction is going to be. And then if you have another plane hit the Pentagon, you know, after it hit the Pentagon, that's when uh, Rumsfeld said this is an act of war. So I don't know. You know, that's something you can certainly exploit. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like what you're saying about COVID. So you're saying like maybe it's Moderna or Pfizer or something. Yeah, I think it's a, <laughs> I th yeah, I think it's a mixture between uh, a couple of different uh, branches of the the pharmaceutical larger health uh industry as well as you know some branches of other people that profited very heavily from this uh you know obviously or i mean i guess not obviously i'm sounding like a conspiracy theorist uh, pretty obviously uh like bill gates had a fairly heavy hand in this from the beginning had financed a lot of the different areas of that uh i i definitely think fauci played a part uh, if I'm going to say if the conspiracy theories are true and this was planned out like three or four years in advance, which there does seem to be some evidence to. Um, I think Fauci definitely played a part. Gates definitely played a part. Um, but I don't think that anyone like actively within the executive branch uh, or the former executive branch, like Obama's people, Clinton's, I don't think they played a part. That's my personal guess. Yeah. 
This honestly isn't my area of expertise, so the Fair enough. thing, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, it is It is a little crazy. I was watching, because Rogan just uh, interviewed uh, one of the foremost doctors that's been speaking out against this stuff, and he kind of, he went as far as to say um, pretty much everything that I just said, but as, as like, confirmed fact for him. Uh, and oh, yeah, like I saw the, that, yeah. The... I need to watch the rest of the episode because I only watched like maybe a 10 minute clip um, um, to Mr. Mark. Yes, uh, I, I believe that that's what it was. I believe that um, something uh, they were they were developing a cure for a thing before it was released and then it got released and then they made more money than any industry has ever made off of anything ever off of curing a disease that leaked from a lab that they started formulating the cure for multiple years before the leak happened. Yeah. <laughs> there yep. like the state will definitely utilize that kind of bullshit to do all this tyranny that we've seen, but I don't think you need this any form of government state coercion to make that kind of bullshit just something that happens in a profit-driven society like the one that we live in. Mhm. Mm yeah, no, I mean I agree with that. Um, it goes both ways though. Like, you know, the, the state helps the corporations profit. That's why when you get things like vaccine mandates or, yeah. uh, vaccine passports or, uh, you know, lockdowns, things like that, those all benefit corporations with the help of the state. So they work together. Like you can have corporations lobby for more authoritarian legislation that's going to, benefit them it's kind of a vicious cycle mm -hmm. yeah um and thus the failures of capitalism <laughs> it's not capitalism it's corporatism so. <laughs> i i really wish that we that people would stop just just in general stop using the word capitalism i know it's like in your, your I gotta like, you kind of yeah, can't make a new show man that would hurt <laughs> But at least at least for the sake of debating, I wish that people would, especially libertarians, that that when their definition of capitalism is like free markets, like a fully free market that's uh, allowed to do whatever it wants. Everyone in the liberty movement at this point who spent enough time on the Internet should know by now that that is not the definition that other people go by. If you are talking to someone anywhere left of center or even sometimes right of center, they are not using that definition. It's they're going off of Marx's original definition of like a uh, corporate uh, profit driven society and structure that leads itself into what we're seeing in the U.S. right now. So other people are considering the U.S. capitalism and they're using a completely different definition and it just bugs the crap out of me to see people continue to just argue over semantics and the definition of this word when we could just say the free market and and move on. Because in my opinion, leftists are also arguing for a free market. They're just more worried about different parts of why the market isn't free right now. They can see that even non-government involved monopolies are still making the market unfree. The things that like Walmart and McDonald's are doing, obviously, yes, we have our arguments for why those are government funded, but they're seeing other problems and they want to fix those problems. 
but they're still arguing for a free transparent market where everyone gets to do what they want to do. Yeah. I mean, I know what you're talking about. I've had those conversations with people where you just kind of have to get by, you have to get past the terms and then you can talk about the issue. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's just easy capitalism, socialism, you know, like it, I, I, I think it's, it's kind of like a sliding scale, you know, like you can be more capitalist and more socialist and they can kind of merge, they, they kind of merge together. You know, I don't know. Like we, we certainly have a mix of the two. It's, um, you know, it's private ownership with heavy government regulation and, uh, government, you know, redistribution of wealth. Uh, so I don't know, like you can have like, like communist to capitalist is just a sliding scale. And I'm just pretty much all the way at the capitalist end where I just want no government intervention and I just want private ownership of everything basically. So Mm. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I understand what you're saying. It's a it's a valid point, but I just need someone to come up with a new catchy name for my show. <laughs> I thought it, I I literally thought about it like halfway through my sentence of like people should stop using the word. I'm like, oh wait, shit, that's the name of this show. But um, <laughs> maybe this wasn't the person to bring this up with. Uh, but yeah, I I definitely I I agree that I agree with the sliding scale thing for sure. Um, I just, yeah, for me, when, when I know that the person that I'm talking to is going to think a different thing, when I use a specific word, I just try not to use that word. And I feel like for, especially, uh, for you, a lot of your audience, when they hear the word capitalism, they know what you mean and they're thinking the same thing. So using that word in that context is fine. Um, the same reason that like I use a bunch of lefty terminology when I'm talking to leftists uh, that people get mad at me for because I'm like co-opting their language or like or like you uh, becoming a lefty or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, definitely like you use the language that speaks to the audience that you're speaking to. But I, I'm like specifically talking about like Twitter debates when you know that the person that you're talking to is using a different ver- definition. And the second that you start arguing over, like, is capitalism good or bad? You know that they're not going off of the the free market definition. If they think capitalism is bad, it's because they they think that capitalism is what we have um, mm. or something close to it. They might even concede that this isn't real capitalism, but it still shows a bunch of the downfalls of capitalism, uh, or at least in my mind. And and I think we also, as a as a right wing, like just all of us over here on the right, need to admit that there are some downfalls of capitalism. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I've talked about that, like mm-hmm. innovation, you know, endless innovation. I think you lose your humanity, right? Like once you have capitalized everything away to the point where you don't have to do anything anymore. Um, it's kind of the, have you seen like this weird obsession that libertarians have with Ted Kaczynski now? Like it's, there's something to it. Like, cause I kind of agree not with the, you know, sending bombs to people, but the, mm-hmm. you know, what he would talk about with the industrial revolution and how that was a mistake in a lot of ways. And, 
you know, like I don't completely agree because in a lot of ways, I mean, we have a lot of medical technology that's way better and people are living easier, better lives now. But at the same time, like we are reaching a technological age where it's, um, <clears throat> you know, it's not as it, it's not as fulfilling to live anymore. It's just kind of boring and people are becoming more robotic. And I don't think that's something that capitalism can fix. I don't think that socialism would fix it either. Like, I don't, I don't think government control of the economy would make that go away. I think that they, that's something that's beyond an economic system. I don't think capitalism gives everything in life. I don't think it, um, I don't think it gives you fulfillment necessarily. I don't think it gives you happiness. I think it can facilitate those things in some ways, but I don't think it in and of itself gives you those. Like you need something beyond an economic system to fulfill your purpose, you know? <laughs> Oof. Some people aren't going to like hearing that. No. Nope. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I would, I would definitely, I would definitely agree. Um, we, we need, we need more than an economic system and there've been some serious societal downfalls come out of this significant advancement. Um, I think that there's some, there's some economic downfalls of the way that we've been doing it as well. And like, you know, we do have all of our arguments about, um, about like why it's government interventions fault, but you know, like we were just mentioning, like, it would could be entirely possible that this entire global bullshit thing that we're going through was done entirely because of a profit driven society and a couple of companies that wanted to like get together and make a thing so that they could make a bunch of money. Uh, well, I, I, th I don't think the argument is whether or not wealth consumption and <clears throat> competition are good or bad it's more like what is human nature so what can we weaponize or take advantage of with with the way we know humans are or that's that's at least the way i approach it like i think it's shitty that you know there could be homeless people living next to a millionaire and that he wouldn't you know give them some food to eat or something i agree that sucks but um <clears throat> you know so i don't think capitalism is morality like a, a lot of people like try to blend all this stuff like libertarianism capitalism they try to mix it with morality like i think you can be a complete piece of shit and still be a capitalist libertarian like if some starving man like collapses on your doorstep and you open your door and you say get off my property right now you know and he starves to death like there was nothing unlibertarian about that you were not breaking the non-aggression principle he was on your property you had the right to remove him you know you didn't break any any rules but did you do the right thing <laughs> no <laughs> i don't think so like you know there's a difference between morality and non-aggression and mm -hmm. private property rights you know and it's funny because you know i'm an atheist i don't even believe in the bible or anything but a lot of these Hoppian types in the liberty movement, you know, they are religious, a lot of them, and they do believe in the Bible, but they like put property rights first. Like that's the thing that matters 
the most and like you know throwing people out of helicopters is you know kind of the way to go or whatever <laughs> i just like i don't think you know um I, I don't agree with that like i don't think property rights is the end all be all um i think that there's you know a more fulfilling life you can live when you care for others but i don't think that that conflicts with capitalism or property rights I think mm -hmm. it's actually more conducive to it. I think when you try to force people to take care of each other, that it doesn't, you know, you end up with more discrepancies because then you're trusting the state to do that. And the state has a monopoly on violence. It has a tendency to try to grow its own power and to forget about the people it was supposedly installed to protect and to take care of. So mm -hmm. I don't think that capitalism results in a perfect world i just think it's the most it, it just makes the most sense it works the best and you have to be a good person on top of being a capitalist to take care of people around you and to live in a you know a good society mm -hmm. so let me ask you a question if uh if you know the empire collapses uh we're living in and capistan whatever there's like 350 different like individual nation states across what is now the u.s and of a variety of different types um given that it was a geographic region that you liked would you live in one where you voluntarily because you're like choosing to live there and like voluntarily give up 10% of your income to like uh, have a, a social safety net and like uh, a volunteer fire department and uh, some kind of generalized security force and like trash pickup and that kind of stuff. So how big is this community? It's a good question. Um, let's say like quarter of a million people. <laughs> um. I mean, I feel like you're going to have that in any community like you're like you do now, like privately owned gated communities. You still have to pay to have the road paved and to have private security and, you know, to have people do yard maintenance. So I think it's pretty inevitable. Like, I don't unless you live alone out in the woods, you know you're not a hundred percent self-sustaining if you're in any sort of community, whether it's like a covenant community or, a, you know, whatever, like you're going to have some form of collective money pooling to provide a service. I think. Yeah. Pretty that's much, a good point. Pretty much across the board, unless you're living out in the woods. Yeah, and I, I feel like uh, more people would agree with you than would think. I mean, because you even just said, like, you're all the way at this end of capitalist, uh, but then just made the point that you made. I think if more leftists knew that, they probably would hate us less. Because um, they assume that we're the, that one person that's going to, like, live in the community already that, like, unanimously votes to do this and they're like the one person that doesn't want to give up 10% of their money and they make a big fuss about it and they're really shitty and they like they're they assume that we're all that person that would just let the dude die on our doorstep and going hey get off my private property um yeah. somehow we need to break that and i 
I really don't think making very large social media campaigns about like how much we hate homeless people uh, is going to really help that uh, would be great if we were doing, you know, the opposite, like a social media campaign like Spike is doing right now about like libertarians and anarchists helping people. I think, though, that the homelessness argument did have something to point to what we're talking about, that if you live in a community, even if it's private, even if there's no government entity there, you're still going to have security forces, you're still going to have standards. So that was, I think that was, I don't know if you actually listened to that episode though, when Dave did, but they were talking about that. Like if you had a privately owned community and a playground was privately owned or something like you're still going to have some sort of service that will make sure that a homeless guy isn't selling drugs to kids or something. So it's like, I feel like a lot of people have this utopian idea of what Ancapistan is. We're like, oh, everyone can do whatever they want to do. Where in reality, Ancapistan is going to be more segregated than the United States is now. And I mean that not like by race necessarily, but by vaccination status, by, you know, religion, by whatever. Like if you're, if everything is privately owned, integration is probably going to drop to a certain point and people are going to decide to invest their property in a community that shares their values. So a lot of libertarians are very like universalist and they want everybody to like just get along. But mm -hmm. I think the more you privatize things, you'll have more peace because there will be less conflict, but you're going to have people flocking together with more like-minded people so you're not going to have like this bread basket of everybody thinking differently as much you're probably going to have more liberal people <clears throat> deciding to live in their fully vaccinated private community and everyone who goes to their private school is going to be you know have their 85 boosters or whatever it is by then you know like you're probably just going to end up seeing that because mm -hmm. If you're voluntarily choosing where you're going to go, then, you know, some people, people have their preferences. So, like, I, I think that's something else people should keep in mind, mm -hmm. which the liberals won't like that. Like, if you tell them, hey, if there is this, like, extremely straight edge, like, white Christian society that doesn't want anyone that doesn't share their values and isn't their same color living in their neighborhood, like, okay, then don't move there. <laughs> you know, like, mm -hmm. So I don't know, like there's going to be, there's going to be stuff like that if this ever were to happen, you know, and then you'd have communities where people are normal and they don't care. And that would probably be the majority of places, but I'm just saying like mm -hmm. the polarization would probably increase in, you know, certain sectors. Yeah. And then like Manhattan could be like, uh, a little island that like never has any disease ever touch it ever because like you have to go through like one of those uh you know like that scene from um independence day where they like go into the room and get sprayed down with the shit and then they go into the other room uh 
<laughs> I know there's a word for that, and it's actually more normal than just an Independence Day, but that's okay. Uh, yeah, they're gonna like you're gonna have to go through like one of those when you're crossing the bridge or something like that, and that's cool too. Like, all right, I'm never going to Manhattan again. That's all right. Mm -hmm. I'll miss it, but it'll be okay, or I'll find a way to get in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but finding a way to get in in this case is a nap violation, I'd say. Yeah, technically. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, yeah, I, I agree that. Um, so and I don't even I I wasn't even trying to say necessarily that that conversation about homelessness uh, was completely like devoid of use. Uh, I just specifically think that it definitely didn't help the one problem that we were just talking about, which is everybody thinks that we're the kind that'll like kick homeless people off of uh, park benches. And so they have to sleep in the street instead uh, or something like i don't know i'm personally i i know it has a lot to do with like where i've lived in my life like after the parks are closed at night i don't really give a shit if people are sleeping on the benches it's one of Me the more neither. comfortable places to sleep i've had to do it <laughs> yeah no i mean i'm the same way i don't really care and i agree that that conversation was kind of out of left field i guess like i didn't really get where it was coming from um I just uh, I just think that it's interesting that a lot of people, both right and left libertarian, think that we're going to have some sort of utopia where everybody just gets along because there's no aggression. And it's like, well, you're probably going to have a lot of Jewish communities, a lot of black communities, a lot of white communities, some racist communities, some, you know, whatever. Like you're probably going to see that spring up in some places and. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. Like I'd rather the racists live in their own community and don't, you know, bother other people or, you know, like the vaccinated, if they want to have their own little community, they live in where, you know, we are all fully vaxxed and, you know, to live in this community, you have to, okay, fine, whatever. Like that's what's so great about decentralization and private property rights is that you can kind of, you know, you can choose and you can move around and you can decide where you want to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100 percent. I feel like a bunch of lefties would like to hear that uh, if if we told them that, you know, like they could have Manhattan to, as their own. Um, just do it. Do with it as you will. Uh, I yep. guess the worry would be like if Manhattan and L.A. still kind of control the country the way that they do right now, it's societally would 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 we be as free as we think we're going to be in that case? If, especially if Manhattan and LA are separately left to run rampant in whatever. I mean, if the government is dissolved, you know, um, yeah. If the federal government doesn't exist anymore, then yeah. But I mean, the, the, no, the federal government isn't in New York or LA though. Like the, those cities control us through, uh, through the media, through business, through finance, oh, through a bunch of other things. Uh, if they are still, like if Wall Street is still in Manhattan and that's still the thing that controls the entirety of our economy at the moment, uh, or at least a solid chunk of it, even without the Federal Reserve, like the stock exchange is still important. And if 
we just let them go full-blown communist what does that do to literally the rest of the country yeah um i think if there is decentralization and people are living in communities that are you know more just acceptedly that are are more allowed to segregate as they wish then you're not going to see as much of a push for conformity you know because if the liberals are living in their own authoritarian shithole fine like <laughs> you know don't worry about us i feel like there's just going to be less incentive to control everybody else if they can control themselves um although you know that type of ideology it's like a neoconservative ideology almost like you want to always expand your power um so i don't know i mean i the we <laughs> we'd probably still have to end up defending ourselves you know because i'm sure controlling themselves would not be enough after a while probably true um this one ended up not being as out of left field uh do you think hollywood uh predicts the future or influences the future uh it influences it i don't think it predicts it um mm-hmm. it's been pretty bad at predicting it i don't know a movie that's I mean, 1984. Yeah, that one. <laughs> v for Vendetta is one that I think that one, I think, actually weirds me out more than 1984 does, mm-hmm. especially because it happened last year, supposedly, mm-hmm. like like it was supposed to be November 11th, 2020. Or the, the November 5th, whatever. I'm fucking up here. Um. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it predicts it. I do think that uh, like there's a clear sign that you know people are more likely to do things that you know are already in their head, and so you know just from a from a logical standpoint, things that have been put into movies and explained are more likely to be able to be explained, believed in, and and carried out. Mm-hmm. That would be my reasoning. Um, I'm actually doing an episode in a couple of weeks with a bunch of libertarian authors about how we kind of can do that in the opposite and like write a bunch of fiction about Ancapistan to like actually help people understand what it would look like and get them excited to be there. There you go. Um, which I think is like a really positive uh, tool that we might have if we actually get to use it correctly. Cause I, I think that media has a much bigger influence on politics than people give it credit like fictional, just like random media. Yeah. Adam Kokesh, I saw him the other day. Uh, He was in Salt Lake for the 50th anniversary. And he was saying like libertarians should be creating their own, uh, you know, MGM studios or whatever, (laughs) be making fictional and historical fictional uh, libertarian slanted tales or whatever, and Mm -hmm. trying to affect culture that way. That was an interesting point he made, which is kind of what you're saying. So, yeah. Um, also, free Kokesh, by the way. Like, yeah, dude, dude's in in jail is at the moment. In jail right now, or last I heard, I haven't I haven't seen an update in a few hours. I've been kind of offline. Huh. Um, but yeah, I believe so. Um, he's demanding an apology from the sheriff's office, and they're very reluctant to give him one. Um, 
but yeah, I uh, I would really love to see us do a little bit better on that. Um, cause, cause it's very hard to like really explain to people what we're talking about. Um, cause they've never really experienced freedom. Like they don't know what it could look like and, and the possibilities. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, left, you know, left wingers can be sold on freedom because they do want freedom in some ways. And then right wingers, same thing. I feel like the right is more, you know, like I've been saying, like the culturally, I think the right is more open to freedom right now. It just kind of depends on what stage you're in. You know, it kind of fluctuates both ways. Like in 2003, definitely the left, <laughs> you know, but today it's like, even though, like I said, I think a lot of left wingers are not really buying into this shit. They're just kind of scared to say anything on the right. Like the culture is more conducive to liberty and freedom. But, you know, I think it's I think it's a message that can be heard everywhere all the time. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Forrest Mommy, for that update. Um, if you guys don't already go follow her on Twitter. Um, she's Forrest Mommy is great to that um sorry lost my train of thought got distracted by pretty girls damn it <laughs> uh um yeah i i think that, that we have a shot at winning the culture war um we uh you know like we've talked about throughout this episode like like people are really waking up and they want to see it and if we could stop fighting with each other about whose freedom is going to look better once we get it and actually just get it, uh, we, we might actually see that happen. Yeah, no, I think, I think, you know, we're going to swing right again culturally just because the left has gotten so retarded with everything. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of that word. Yeah. Well, like, I don't know. Like, I don't care about people switching gender or, you know, um, if you don't want to have Mr. Potato Head, whatever. Like, I, I don't care. I really don't care. But they think it's so overbearing and they're just trying to push it down everybody's throats. And if you're not 100% on board, you're a bigoted, racist, xenophobic, whatever, blah, blah, you know, just right down, down the list. So I'm actually trying to get out ahead of it a little bit and be like guys look like the left-wing culture sucks and it's bullshit but we should allow gay people to get married you know because i feel like it's going to swing i feel like you're going to see like a heavy religious revival and like right-wing cultural values being pushed hard again just because people are going to react to this so violently i could be wrong about that but i'm trying to like get out ahead of it and be like look guys yeah the woke shit is dumb but, you know, freedom <laughs> is important and, you know, we shouldn't be uh, subjugating other people or whatever. So I don't know. That's yeah. kind of how I see it. But. Agreed. Well, before we wrap up, uh, shout out how people can find you, follow you, any cool guests you've got coming up. Yeah, sure. So you can follow me on YouTube, Odyssey, and then all the audio feeds as the naturalist capitalist i follow me on twitter at reed underscore coverdale um 
and uh, let's see, guests. Tomorrow I've got Larry Sharp coming back on the show, mm-hmm. and we're going to be talking about his most likely run for governor of New York. And then Sunday I've got Maria Farmer coming on the show. She's, as I said, one of the highest profile Epstein victims. She reported Epstein and Maxwell to the FBI back in 1996, and they didn't do anything about it. And then they've lied, saying that she didn't report either of them when she did. Uh, If they had actually acted on what she said back in 1996, both of them would have been put away for life back then. But, you know, uh, here we are having Ghislaine Maxwell's trial now. (laughs) So definitely tune in for that. That's going to be an interesting show. Yeah, I will definitely be watching that one live. Um, I rarely get to catch your episodes live anymore, but that one I will make a a point for. (laughs) Uh, Well, guys, thanks so much for watching. Uh, If you haven't already, uh, definitely follow, read his thing scrolling, then go follow him on everything else, and then go subscribe to his channel and everything else, and then leave a bunch of thumbs up comments on all of his posts make his phone blow up tonight because uh you guys decided to be obnoxious that would be cool um <laughs> reed thanks for coming back on hey thanks for having me back on david it was good we should do it again before eight more months go <laughs> eight more months yeah for sure uh all right guys thank you so much for watching uh we'll be back here tomorrow night at 9 p.m freedom time with uh former executive director of the libertarian party dan fishman uh so that's going to be super fun uh We'll catch you then. Until then, uh, keep up the fight. Shut up and sit down.